Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from our 2023 Advent series, Christ the True and Better. During this series, you will explore how all of redemptive history pointed to Jesus, who is the true and better man, Son, Deliverer, and King. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Okay, so as I said, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. That's verses 1 through 6. That's going to be our anchor text. We are going to bounce around quite a bit. Um, but the reason that we have Hebrews is because this entire letter is basically Christ is superior and everything before was pointing to Christ. Uh, and so specifically as it relates to Moses, um, it is an appropriate uh, comparison because Moses was one of the pillars uh, upon which the Israelites viewed uh, their faith and their belief system. So again, this is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, so if the words are a little bit different, that's why. But brothers and sisters, these are the words of God. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. May God bless the reading of his word. For those of you who know um, me and my family fairly well, you may know some details about this story, but um, those of you who aren't familiar, um, I'm going to explain briefly about how we ended up here. Uh, about 10 years ago, we were very heavily involved in a church um, in Idaho where we, where we lived, uh, in south-central south Idaho. Twin Falls is the largest city. It's about 50,000 people, and it's two hours from absolutely anything. Yes, Julie, I knew you would pick up on that. She's from right down the road. Um, but yeah, nothing of consequence within two hours in any direction from, from that small, now not small, so small town. And we felt in our hearts of hearts that God did not want us there anymore. And so we uh, did the best that we could to discern and to try to understand what God wanted us to do. And so we landed on... Uh, ultimately through a series of things and encounters and prayer and all this type of stuff, we ended on this Eastern European nation called Romania. I had been on mission there a couple of times during my college days. Uh, we took the whole family. Everybody went. We were appointed to go. We were commissioned. We were support raising. We, we sold our house, moved everything, um, got rid of all of our stuff, borrowed my parents' RV, begged our church to let us park the RV in the back of the church so we could live there for two years. All with the goal of 
getting overseas because this is what we had decided, this is what we were convinced and, and said, God has said this. This is the end goal. This is everything that we've been working for. And then God did a funny thing. And God said, pump the brakes. That's not where I'm sending you. And that was difficult for us to understand, and I fought against it, and I kicked against it, and I said, but this is, everything has been leading towards this. And then at the end of that, God said, no. And God, through my wife, full of wisdom, always, that I should listen to more often, said, what if the, all of the detaching from all of our stuff and all of our things and the, the house and the, and the stuff and our life here and me quitting my job for two years and basically living as threadbare as we could for two years to try to make all this happen. What if that was just to get us into a position where we would be willing to say yes to wherever it was and whatever it was? And all of a sudden, I had that light bulb moment where it was like, oh, this whole thing, which was really good over here, served a purpose until this thing over here came up and the, and the truth was revealed to me and to us. And so I tell that not to say that I've got it all figured out because, again, if you know me fairly well, that it's pretty obvious that I don't have it figured out even day to day. But the, the point there is that this thing... It was a very good thing that we had thought of was the be-all and the end-all turned out to be a tool and uh, something that was useful for God to accomplish a far, far greater and more meaningful purpose. And I believe that this is every bit as true of Moses as it relates to Jesus. We're in Hebrews this morning because the entire book of Hebrews, get a little bit of background and then we'll start unpacking, is written to Hebrew believers who've converted to Christianity, but now persecution is starting to come. Paul and Peter uh, either are about to be or have been martyred, and everything is in upheaval and tough times are about to come, and they're considering going back to the law of Moses. And so the entire book is a big treatise on how Jesus is far, far superior to absolutely everything in the old system. And not only that, but all the stuff in the old system pointed forward toward Jesus. And so in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrew brings this comparison out as, as pointedly uh, as they can. And they say, you know, consider Jesus... And Jesus is uh, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And he was faithful to God just as Moses was faithful to God. But Jesus is more glorious than Moses because Jesus made the house and Moses just served in the house. And so what we're going to unpack here this morning is, is three major things. Number one, Jesus is the true and better leader of Israel. Number two, Jesus is the true and better covenant maker. And number three, Jesus is the true and better deliverer. All three of those things were true of Moses, but they are more true and they are better of Jesus. 
So first we see that Jesus was the true and better leader of Israel. The word that's going to be used in Hebrews 3.1 is apostle. He's apostle. He's the sent one. He is the one who is leading the charge of our confession. Similar to that was Moses, and Moses was uh, a type of Jesus in this specific way. Moses was one, the Old Testament will say in Deuteronomy 34, that Moses was a unique prophet. He was one who the Lord knew face to face. He is one who saw God and lived. There is no prophet at the time of this writing in Deuteronomy, and indeed no prophet since in Israel like Moses, because while many of them heard from the Lord and they repeated the word of the Lord, none of them had this deep relationship with God like Moses did. And so Moses, again, he knew Jesus or knew the Lord face to face. And so he saw when they go to cut the covenant, God and Moses on behalf of Israel, Moses comes back and his face is shining with the glory of God to the point that they're like, put a veil over you. You're seriously blinding us, Moses. Like, we can't, we can't do this. Nobody else had that privilege. The only other that has this privilege is Jesus. Jesus knew God face to face, knew God, air quotes, right? Because he is God. Because he came from God. And when I say that, I'm using Jesus' words in John chapter 6. So Jesus says, you know, they will all be taught by God. And he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is talking about himself. Here. He is the next Moses, or the second Moses, or the true and better Moses, the final Moses, pick whatever terminology you want. He comes from God to lead God's people, and he speaks with authority, and he has the ability to be the true and better leader of Israel because he has that relationship, and even more so, because Moses, being fully human, has this relationship with God, but Jesus, being both fully man and fully God, has the complete relationship with God. And Moses knew that this, something like that was going to happen. How do I know that Moses knew that something like that was going to happen? Because in his parting address to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, he says that a prophet is going to come. The Lord your God is going to raise up a prophet for you, like me, from among you, from your brothers. And it's to him that you will listen. Now, obviously, there were a lot of prophets that got raised up in Israel. Because there was always meant to be a prophet in Israel until the true and great prophet came. Who would be Jesus? The last and the greatest prophet. And for a long time, people debated what did this exactly mean. And even today, if you go and look at New Testament scholars, uh, Bible scholars, they'll say, oh, this wasn't talking about Jesus, it was talking about all the old prophets. Yeah, okay, fine. Except that Peter, 
directly attributes this prophecy to Jesus. And he does that in Acts chapter 3, 22 through 24, when he's delivering his address. He's healed this man, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you, get up and walk. And everybody causes a big furor. What's happening or whatever? And he takes that opportunity to immediately, where'd you get that miracle from? Can you do more for me? No, 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 I'm going I'm to preach about Jesus now. Now that I have your all's attention, I'm going to preach about Jesus. And he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed, cut off from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after Samuel, also proclaimed these days. So Moses, and indeed every prophet that came after Moses, pointed toward Christ being the true and better leader of Israel. The prophet who would come and to whom all God's people were to listen. Not only that, but Jesus, being the true and better leader of Israel, is able to be the true and better covenant maker and the true and better mediator. If we return to Hebrew 3, we also see that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. And the priest is the one who goes before God on behalf of the people. Now Moses went between the people and God as a mediator, and that was God selected Moses to be the leader of Israel, but then Israel basically nominated Moses you be the intermediary. You be the one that talks to God for us. We don't want to talk to God. And the reason for that was because they knew full well that no one can see God and live. And so there's this retelling, again in Deuteronomy, this is chapter 5, where you get the second telling of the Ten Commandments. And what basically happens is, they're off of Mount Sinai, Moses is kind of there, and they're seeing the glory of the Lord, and they're getting afraid, and they're seeing that Moses isn't being consumed, and so they're afraid and a little freaked out right now. And so what the elders gather to Israel, again, this is Deuteronomy 5, I think it's 23 to 27, what they say is basically, look, why should, why should we die? No one can see God and live. Why should we die? Uh, this great fire is going to consume us. Uh, but we, we, somebody's lived, so uh, you know, who's heard it? Who is, who's, who's done this? So, uh, Moses, you have this great connection with God, so um, you go, and you talk to God. And we'll listen to whatever God tells you to do. We'll hear and we'll do it. And then if somebody dies, it'll be Moses and not us. So, again, there's this both-and type of thing where Moses willingly, in the end, receives God's call and leads Israel's people. But Israel are also itching for somebody to, to deal with God on their behalf, basically, because they are f- afraid of the repercussions of dealing with God directly themselves. Not only that, but he goes, he mediates, he is the covenant maker, he is the one to whom God gives the law, and then Moses is to take the law to the people. By the way, if you read the, the Exodus narrative, 
you can see that God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, and by the time Moses has gotten down to proclaim the Ten Commandments to Israel, they've already broken the Ten Commandments, and they haven't even heard them yet. And then Moses turns right back around and mediates for them. In Exodus 32, 30 to 32, what uh, has happened here is Moses is coming down from the Ten Commandments, and he sees that they've made the golden calf, and he gets angry and breaks the Ten Commandments, and then goes and God rewrites them again, a second time. And then he takes them down, and then uh, he brings the people to account. And they're paying for their action, but then what God says, what Moses says is, you've sinned a great sin to the people of Israel. He says, I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses goes before the Lord and he asks them to forgive them. And he goes so far as to say, if you won't forgive them, please blot me out of your book. He's willing to take the fall for the people. Much as Christ uh, took the fall for God's people once for all. So Moses intercedes. He gives the covenant. He mediates between God and the Israelites. But all of that, again, this is all Hebrews. If you want to read the whole book of Hebrews, I encourage you to, to do that. It's, it's a great treatise on what we're talking about. But Jesus is the one who stands forever between the people and God as a mediator. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's as clear as I can make it, right? Don't, don't think we need too much interpretation there. Paul is pretty direct. One God, one mediator. Nobody else holds that role. Not only that, but Moses establishes a covenant with God where God writes uh, in stone the Ten Commandments. And that's how God uh, brings the covenant with Moses. And then Moses then goes and gives it to the people and the people ratify, air quotes, the covenant and, and agree to it. But the second covenant, the better covenant, um, comes from Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed. We're going we're gonna to say the words in a few minutes down here at the table. I'm going to say the words. But G part of that, after supper, Jesus takes this cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sin. The last of the covenant makers and the mediators is, um, should be fairly obvious. Last time I checked, if you read the end of Deuteronomy, what happens to Moses? He dies, right? And the only reference we have to Moses afterwards is, uh, is a transfiguration and some argument between Satan and God over the body of Moses. 
Moses doesn't enter the scene alive as a corporeal body or anything again. Jesus, on the other hand, he also died. But on the third day, he raised, he said, you know, feel free, poke, prod, do whatever you want. Put your hand on my side, put your, put your hand in, in the holes in my arms and my legs. Give me some fish, I'll eat it. Right? I'm as alive as you guys are. And because that is true, Jesus is able to forever live as our mediator, as our intercessor, and as our covenant maker. Later on in Hebrews in chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There is no more death to cut off our covenant maker, our high priest, and our, uh, our leader. And because of those two things, we can safely say that Jesus is the true and better deliverer. Moses' deliverance came by God to bring the people out of Egypt, out of physical slavery, and into a place that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And part of doing that was that God gave them the law that they had to follow. Jesus came and he said, I'm not here to say that the law is going away, that it's abolished or anything like that. No, I have come to fulfill that law. That's in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where he says that. Like, don't get it twisted. I'm going to say a lot of stuff right now that's not going to make sense to you, and it's going to make it sound like I am usurping the law. I am fulfilling the law, and here's what the law looks like properly fulfilled. Jesus said the law and the prophets, all that was written concerned him. In Luke 24, after he's appeared to the, disciple, to the two on the road to Emmaus, after his, um, after his resurrection, he appears back to the people, uh, and he opens their understanding. He opens their, their ability to, to grasp what he's saying, is what Luke says. And he says this, he says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's speaking directly to the resurrection, to the suffering, to the fact that it's not going to be a political king that's going to come in and kick out Rome and set up a theocracy. But that it's a different way. But when he says that, he, he tells them, look, all this stuff concerned me. You didn't understand it then. Now you're going to understand it. Because I have come and I have done what the Father sent me to do. Similarly, in other interactions, he tells, uh, tells people that all the scriptures testify of him. 
when he's uh, rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees in John chapter 5, Jesus says, look, you search those scriptures because you think in those scriptures, the law of Moses and the prophets, that you have eternal life. But that ain't it. Those things testify of me. And when he's with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he even says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in case we weren't clear, the Old Testament testifies of Jesus. Sometimes it's just harder to see him in there, but he's there. It all points toward him because he can fulfill the law and he grants a fuller understanding of what Moses delivered. Staying in that passage in John chapter 5, later on, he says Moses, Moses knew this on some level. I'm not gonna, he says, I'm not going to accuse you to the Father, talking to the Pharisees, because they already stand accused. And the one who accuses them is Moses on whom they have set their hope. Because the hope of the people at this time is the law. If I can keep the law, if I can do all of the things on the list, then maybe I'll be good enough. And maybe God will accept me. And that would be really nice, except a couple things. Number one, nobody can do it. And number two, if somebody could, have do, could do it, Jesus didn't have to come. That was his whole purpose. He says, if you, Pharisees, would believe Moses, if you really believed him, then you would believe me because he wrote of me. So he is the fulfillment of what is delivered by Moses in the law. He is also the fulfillment of what was delivered by Moses in the bread of life. We're not going to put it up here on the board because it's a whole chapter and that's going to be like 19 gazillion slides. And So just write this down. Exodus 16. Okay? Think of it as homework. They're in the wilderness and they're complaining. We don't have anything to eat. You let us out here to die. We should have just died in Egypt. At least we would have been fed. Never mind everything else, right? Three square meals a day, plenty of exercise. We were in slavery. Well, no place is perfect, right? That's, that's the type of conversation that, that's going on, right? They're literally like, we wish we would have died in Egypt because all you've done is bring us out here to die in the wilderness instead. And so what God does is he tells Moses, I'm going to cause this bread-like substance to coat the earth every morning. And they're, gonna, they're going to come and they're going to collect it and they're going to eat that in the morning and they're going to have meat at night and they're going to be sustained. And they go out and they grab this manna and manna literally, they, they literally looked at it and they said, manna? Which in Hebrew is, what is this? Right? What is it? And so that's what it got called, but that was what God gave them to sustain them. And even that is a picture. Because Jesus talks about that. 
John chapter 6. He's in this long dialogue with the Pharisees. And they're like, Moses gave us bread to eat in the wilderness. And he's like, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses. My father gives you true bread from heaven. Right? They ate that for a little bit, and then they died. Right? The true bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, give us this bread always. And he's like, I'm the bread of life. And this is where he goes into that whole thing about you have to feed on my flesh and, and my blood, and that's a sermon for another day. But uh, this is what he's talking about. He's like, you have to be part, uh, you have to have a part of me. If you don't have me, you have nothing. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, speaking of himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, and if one consumes it, they will not die. They will not die. So he is a picture of the true bread of life. And because he is the bread of life, and because everything in the Old Testament points towards him, and because even Moses, the bringer of the law and the original, air quotes, deliverer of Israel, points toward Jesus, we conclude that Jesus and Jesus alone is uniquely able to deliver his people into the promised land. Moses could only bring God's people to the precipice of the promised land. Because Moses, in his anger, sinned against God and misrepresented God to the people. So if you read the whole story of the Exodus and how Moses is the leader and he's serving faithfully, and our text today says Mo Moses was faithful in the house, but Moses wasn't perfect. And so he was not permitted because of his actions to bring the people into the promised land. We have this uh, sad exchange between God and Moses in Deuteronomy 34, right at the end for Moses. Lord takes Moses up onto Mount Nebo and he allows him to look upon the land that's going to come. And he says, this is the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'm going to give it to you. You can see it, but you're never going to enter it. And it was left to Moses' successor, which was who? Joshua. Interesting side note. I see Brett smiling. He knows where I'm going with this. Joshua, Hebrew, Yehoshua, Aramaic, Yeshua. That start to ring a bell now? Name means the Lord of salvation. So Moses could only bring God's people into to the brink of the promised land, and it was the Lord of salvation who carried them across. And in that way, Jesus opens the way to deliver God's people to the actual promised land. The promised land of the Israelites was a temporal land. Right? Physical land. But the promised land for God's people is that city whose builder and whose maker is God.
Psalm 68, 18 talks about leading captives. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. That means you're just bringing a bunch of captives with you. Some of your Bibles will say, leading captivity captive. And receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And then Paul appropriates that in Ephesians 4 and says, hey, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus ascended. He led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. So he's leading the way. He's opening this place And he opens the door to the kingdom of God and to the spiritual city that one day will be a physical city of God among people once again. Moses brought the law. I don't want people to think that the law was a bad thing. It certainly was very strong in its punishment, and that was for a purpose. The purpose of the law, I've heard it said, and it's kind of difficult to to grasp this in some sense, because it seems counterintuitive, but a purpose, one might even argue the primary purpose of the law, was to demonstrate that one could not keep the law. Paul writes in Galatians 3, he says, uh, the law was a tutor, a pedagogue. It was designed to bring us to Christ. At which point, then we would realize, Christ fulfilled the law. We don't have to anymore, because we couldn't, even to begin with. If we could, he didn't need to come. But thank God, he came, and he fulfilled the law. And he did that to redeem a people to himself, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so Jesus, the true and better leader, the true and better covenant maker and mediator, and the true and better deliverer, is worthy of more glory than his servant Moses. Because Moses, though he was faithful in in everything in God's house, he didn't build the house. And his example and the things that Moses did and the things that God used Moses to do were designed to set the stage for when the Christ came, all of those strange things random puzzle pieces in the brain would all of a sudden snap into place and people would say, oh, I get it. This thing was good over here, but you have this huge, this is the fuller understanding. This was the greater purpose that all of this stuff served to do. And so to finish the story, we end up sending all these things out to all kinds of different places, and we find um, this tiny church in Arnold, Maryland, needs a pastor. And so we're just like, okay, whatever, right? We said anywhere, right? I have no idea where any of this is. I've never lived west of the Rocky Mountains, any of this type of stuff. And a conversation starts happening, and and things pop up because we've, we've got some some 
things in, in the past, like you know, bankruptcy and all kinds of other things, there's like, surely this will disqualify, surely this will, surely, surely this will be the end of it, or whatever, and, and it never happened, right? And so they called me out there to be their pastor, and uh, some things happened, and it became evident that it wasn't a good fit, and so we parted ways, and I texted Brett that night and said, when's church on Sunday? And we've been here ever since. And so we don't know what's going to happen next, but we've realized that, again, all this is good stuff. But the reality is that God's got something greater out of all of these things, just as what we've talked about this morning. That the stuff is useful to the point that God is doing something far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Couple points of applying the word and then we will come to the table of the true and better deliverer. First is one that is true for every single person. And I'm asking this kind of metaphorically, but I hope it will work. In what ways do I look to Moses instead of looking to Christ? What ways am I trying to do things on my own, in my own strength? I don't need you for this one, Lord. You can sit it out. I got it. Right? In what ways are we doing that? Because that's true of every single person. Everybody has something in their life where they're doing that. I can give a really good example from my life. Story time. This is actually really relevant, too. So you guys know that I'm in seminary. Most of you do. And so um, I agreed to teach on the 17th, thinking that my Hebrew final, which that class has been the bane of my existence, was on the 20th. So I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. I'll do this, and then I'll finish all my prep in the middle of the week, and then I'll have like a full week to really hit the books really, really hard. No problem. Well, turns out my prof changes the final to the 16th, and my 14-year-old son, who has been blessed with great athletic ability, has uh, either league soccer games or tournament games or whatever three successive weeks before, <laughs> before the, the final and, the, uh, and me delivering this message this morning. And so I'm like, okay, I'll drive and I'll go to class. Uh, I'll go class from Panera in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, and it's, and it's going to be fine, right? I'll just do my class and I'll just show FaceTime. And uh, I'll, I'll figure it all out. I'll do all these things. I'll try to do the prep and I'll try to do this and I'll try to figure it all out and everything like that. And I did a pretty good job of getting my kid to his games. His coach was happy with that. Uh, I did a reasonable job at doing the sermon prep in, in its own time. And I, I, I was like, Lord, just help me with this stuff or whatever. And then when it came to Hebrew, I was like, well, you know what? I got this. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm picking up what's going on. And so I kind of basically said I can leave that until the very end, and I'll just cram the heck out of it because that's the only way I do well on tests anyway. And I went into the final yesterday, and I walked out of the final feeling, well, that went about as well as you would expect it would have gone. 
I was trying to do it, do it on my own strength. I wasn't saying like, Lord, I need, I need help. I bit off way too much for me to chew and I don't know how it's going to work. I just tried to soldier on and just push through it and be like, no problem, I got it. I got it. I didn't consider like, Lord, multiply my hours, even something like that. Or multiply my understanding, even though it's really hard to recall what's not there to begin with. And, and all of those things. And so... I say all that to, to, to encourage everybody. The guy delivering the message this morning, not perfect. Not perfect by any means. Thank you for not amening that, wife. The, um, but the, the point with that is I, I don't have it all together. I look to Moses and my own strength and trying to do everything on my own just as much as the next guy. But God is faithful, and even though it's painful and it's not fun, sometimes he reminds us <laughs> of the need to look to him. And so I ask you to consider, what ways in your life are, are you looking away from Christ and trying to do it on your own, or trying to do it whatever old way you had done it instead of what God's calling you to do? The second question is two parts. Number one, have I looked to Christ as my deliverer? If you haven't done that, that's the first step. Please do that because he, he came, he fulfilled everything, he died, and then he was raised to defeat death and sin and all of the things that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. We have a true and greater victory that's waiting for us that Christ has already won for us. And then... In this life, at, at the very least, we have hope, if nothing else. So if you have not looked to Christ, I urge you to consider doing that. And please talk to the elder team. They'd love to have a conversation. Brett will be here for like five hours if you want to converse with him about looking to Christ. I'm not wrong. If you have looked to Christ, reflect on some ways that God may be calling you to look to him more fully. Maybe he's, maybe he's called you to this great, amazing thing, like we, we felt like he had called us to. And then you hit a wall and you realize maybe this isn't actually it, and you're struggling to find what is it. You can uh, ask for his help, and he will show you in time. But we do also have specific ways that we can sense God's calling us to look to Christ more readily or more fully. And so those two uh, evaluation points um, are, are applying the word. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to come to the Lord's table, the table of the true and better deliverer who came and fulfilled the law and gave himself for us. In a moment, the guys in the back are going to come and they're going to pass out uh, the elements and we're going to take those together. Uh, but during this time, I, again, I encourage you to just reflect uh, and, and ask God, 
let the Holy Spirit reveal to you uh, the areas where God is calling us to look to Christ more readily or more fully because he is truly our deliverer. Now, here at Bay Ridge, we don't require that you be a member to partake of communion. Um, anybody who claims the Lord Jesus as their true and better deliverer, you are welcome to partake. Those of you who, uh, who do not, just let that pass because that's what you're proclaiming when you take this. Jesus is our deliverer, just as we talked about, the true bread from heaven. This is what, this is what we're saying, that he alone gives us life. For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had nothing to eat, you sent bread from heaven to sustain them in the wilderness. And they ate from that bread, Lord, until they entered the promised land. But Lord, we know now that that bread was a shadow of what was to come. When Christ came, and his body was broken, that we who receive him as the true bread of life, we might be forgiven, and we might be redeemed, and we might be delivered not from physical slavery, but from the bondage of sin and death. So Lord, we thank you for this gift of the bread of life. May we always look to it to sustain us. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, on the night you were betrayed, you poured out a cup and you said that this cup was the new covenant forged in your blood that we might be forgiven. Lord, we take this in faith that your words are true, that you are the true and better deliverer who gave himself for his people that we might have a future and a hope that you will redeem us as your people to yourself. And so, Lord, as often as we drink of this, we remember and we proclaim your deliverance. 
until you come. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ spilt for you. Take and drink. Stand if you would. We'll pray and then we'll receive a blessing from God. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit out upon us afresh, even now. Help us to look toward Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the apostle and high priest of our profession, and the true and better deliverer. In all that we say, think, do, and feel. May your spirit guide us to a point where our first action is to look to Christ and not a last resort. Lord, during this Advent season, as we discipline ourselves to anticipate and to await your coming. May we carry that mindset always. Always looking to you. Always waiting on you. Do your work as only you can, we pray, for your glory and for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.